Thanks for tuning in to Good Vibrations with Kristen, where humanness meets spirituality. Are you ready to be inspired? Do you want to have a greater connection to the earth, each other, and ultimately yourself? Join in the conversation with Kristen Ace and her fascinating guests to share the light, laughter, and the illumination of Good Vibrations. Hey, everybody. It's Good Vibrations with Kristen. Happy day to all of you. I have an amazing guest here today. Well, she's calling in from L.A., but she actually lives in India, so it's very exciting. Her name is Sadhvi Bhagavati Saraswati. She is the president of the Divine Shakti Foundation, which works toward the betterment of women, children, and animals. Today we're going to talk a little bit about why it's important to be stewards to our Mother Earth and how that propels us into divinity. So, Sadhvaji, hi, welcome to GVK. Well, thank you. It's an honor and a joy to be here. Well, I was wanting for you to tell everybody a little bit about, we were talking off the air, a little bit about how you came to be from the United States but now live in India for 20 years. Well, sure. It actually was just God's grace. Mm. I was in the middle of a PhD program. I had graduated undergrad from Stanford with a degree in psychology and was doing my PhD in psychology and came traveling to India. I can't even take any credit for having had the foresight to realize that India was a place to go and that there was something for which to seek. Mm. But really, grace just orchestrated the universe in such a way that India is where we ended up traveling to, even though I didn't suggest it. (laughs) And so... I got to India, I was 25, as I said, in the middle of a PhD program on just a vacation that we took traveling. Originally, I had actually thought we would be going to Europe, which is where I had done a lot of traveling previously. But for various reasons, India became the place where we went. And in Delhi, I opened up a you know, 500-page Lonely Planet guidebook and said Rishikesh. And so... What does that mean? Well, Rishikesh is the name of the place where I live. And so when I had opened up the book, instead of opening it up and seeing Kerala or Chennai or Calcutta Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. Jaipur or any of the other places that people go to, I opened it up knowing nothing about India, and the first place I saw where we decided to go was Rishikesh, which is where, of course, I ended up living. And when I got to Rishikesh, I stood on the banks of the Ganges River, which at the time I didn't even know was a sacred and holy and divine river. Mm. At the time, I just knew it was a beautifully flowing, natural river. And I was always someone who had been very, very connected to and in love with 
Mother Nature. And mm-hmm. so it was perfectly natural for me to just say, I'm going to go down and sit by the river and put my feet in the river. Mm-hmm. So I get down to the banks of the Ganges River or Mother Ganga, as we call her. And I had an experience that transformed my life. Mm-hmm. And it was an experience that now, almost 20 years later, is still just as difficult to put into words as it was yes. the day it happened. I, but you know, it was, <clears throat> I just want to interrupt and say <clears throat> the profound experiences I've had with the divine, every time I try to put words to them, it almost sounds silly. And then it doesn't come out as profound as the actual experience was. So I really, I can identify with that. Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So it's always a challenge to figure out how to articulate the experience that I had. But it was a a transformative experience. It was an experience in which simultaneously a veil was torn off my eyes, which I had had on for 25 years, unbeknownst to myself. Mm -hmm. I could see. But it also was an experience in which my myself, that lowercase s sense of self, of mm-hmm. who I am, my identity, really came home into that uppercase s self of oneness, of divinity. And I had this experience of the truth, the truth of who I am, the truth of the universe, the mm. truth of my connection to the universe, and of course, therefore, the truth of everyone's connection to the universe. It wasn't a matter of, oh, this is all about me. It was a matter of, oh, this is what the world is. This is how it is. Mm. And I burst into tears. Yes, (laughs) I'm sure you did. (laughs) And and pretty much cried continuously for the next week. Mm Mm-hmm. Regardless of what I was looking at, regardless of what I was doing, that which had been emblazoned upon my visual field stayed, even though the background of that visual field changed. So one minute I'm looking at the sacred river, the next minute I'm looking at, you know, a pole or a pillar Mm -hmm. or some Mm -hmm. random person, and yet that visual experience of the divine actually stayed even though the background kept changing. Sure. And so whatever I saw, I just kept crying. And <laughs> it, was, it was extraordinary. I had absolutely no intellectual framework to understand what was happening, but it was absolutely the most beautiful experience that I had ever had. And so I wasn't too worried about the fact that I didn't understand it. At one point, I certainly thought I was being drugged with something phenomenal because it it felt very much like one would imagine, you know, being drugged into a spiritual experience might feel. Mm-hmm. And since I was young, had never done any spiritual practice, didn't have any background of spiritual study, it was inconceivable to me that this had come about due to anything I had done. And so either I was being drugged or it was just 
divine grace. And of course, what I realized and, and knew all along was it was just grace. And that was really the beginning. And I ended up staying. About a week later, I finally met my guru, Pujaswami Chidananda Saraswatiji, who is the president of Parmarth Nikitan Ashram, which is where I live. And when I met him, he really was the glue that held the entire experience together. Prior to meeting him, I was having, as I mentioned, these incredible experiences, and yet none of it made sense. Where was I supposed to be? What was I supposed to do? I knew in my heart that I now was supposed to be here on the banks of Ganga, but in what capacity was I just supposed to sit here and cry ecstatic tears for the rest of my life? Was there, <laughs> well, was, right. was there some bigger picture? And if so, what was it? And well, I, I when wouldn't... I finally... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry? Go ahead. I was just going to say, when I finally met him, I realized that he he was the the axis, the core of this experience that really brought it all together, and it suddenly made sense. So here you are, you know, now you are, you have basically become Indian in your thought process and in your practice, and you've taken your divine experience and you've put it towards helping the earth, helping people, helping those with less than. So do, have you found, at least in the practice that you are in, that as you work with the earth, that, that, practice, that the divinity that you experience sitting on the river with your feet in the river, do you find that it becomes more powerful as you connect to the earth and, and move towards um, mindfulness with the earth? That's a beautiful question. It's, it's been more of a, an ex, a simultaneous experience than a path that one would say moving toward this or toward that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, what the experience has been, and this is really also what the teachings of my Guruji are, is that as we experience a oneness mm-hmm. with the divine, which comes in meditation, it comes for me, it came just by grace. People have experienced it through a variety of different ways. I think the most common, of course, is through a meditative experience. But certainly the presence of a guru or just grace or any number of other possibilities are there yeah. as well. Once we have even a taste of that experience, we realize how connected we are, how unseparate we are. And the minute that you have that experience, even if you're not in it at every moment, and even if on some level your awareness, of course, comes back, sadly, to this physical body, this material world, Nonetheless, your, your thought process has shifted, and slowly, slowly through the meditation on a daily practice, your experience shifts into more and more one of openness and oneness. 
And when that happens, service becomes a natural byproduct, whether it's service of humanity, the homeless, the needy, the sick, the poor. Yeah. Whether it's service of animals or service of the earth, it's, it's a natural byproduct of that. But I was thinking more in terms of, um, for me, when I am focused on the earth, whether it's tending my garden, whether it's picking up garbage, whether it's taking care of trees, whether it's somehow or another um, tending to my mother, my, my mother earth, the mother earth, the, you know, without her, we don't get to be here. So tending to her brings me towards a feeling of oneness where I don't separate myself out from this problem, that problem, blah, 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 blah. I'm at one with my environment because it is my environment that um, feeds me, but also I am connected to living things and have my hands in something living and I'm helping that living thing thrive and be honored. And for me, that is a very deeply spiritual experience. And Absolutely. And in fact, before I moved to India, I used to think that God lived only in the mountains. <laughs> I, used to, I used to spend every possible weekend or vacation in the forest, mm-hmm. in the mountains, mm-hmm. camping, hiking, backpacking. My favorite, favorite way to spend time was trekking through the mountains or lying in the pine needles underneath the redwoods and staring up at the sun, refracting through the branches, the interlaced branches of the trees. So that was a very, very powerful experience that was a deep part of my life, even Mm -hmm. before I went to India. And in fact, when we would go camping for the weekend or even hiking for the day, at the end, when we had to sit back into the car and come back, I would cry. I would sob like a child being rested off the mother's breast. And my friends would, you know, look at me like I was half crazy and try to assuage me and say, it's okay, we can come back next weekend. Don't worry, you're only (laughs) going, you know. 30 miles away, back to Palo Alto. But for me, what I realized in retrospect, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, was that it wasn't so much a matter of leaving Muir Woods or Big Basin and going back to Palo Alto as it was a matter of a connection to God that I felt so deeply right? and Through. how important that was. So yeah. you're absolutely right. And of course, that is something that I have held on to and has just gotten deeper and deeper. Well, it's, and no, think, it's no surprise that you put your feet in holy water, <laughs> in sacred yeah. water, and then received divine grace because you've already been fully in, and profoundly connected to the earth. So she just found a way to let in that grace in a way you weren't expecting, which is, I think is always better, you know, because when we're expecting something, it's, it, it doesn't, A, it doesn't usually come, but B, it doesn't come in the way that we were thinking it would. And then there would be some kind of maybe disappointment, you know, absolutely. 
And yet in nature, as you mentioned, that connection is palpable. That's right. And it's something that I actually always suggest to people who need any kind of grounding, Mm -hmm. even if they're not using the words spiritual connection, Mm -hmm. whether it's depression, whether it's ADD or ADHD, regardless of what people are suffering from, experiences of disconnect or dis-ease within the self. Right. Being back in nature is profoundly healing. I mean, now, of course, science is starting to give names and reasons for what the sages and saints and rishis have said forever. And science, you know, starts to talk about earthing and ions and all of these kinds of things. But what we know experientially is how deeply it connects us. It connects us to ourselves. It connects us to our, the entire universe through Mother Nature, through Mother Earth. I would love we, to see us um, gather <clears throat> the corporations that pump vast amounts of garbage and sewage into the oceans and people who litter and have them go on a retreat, you know, and really get in tune with nature ab- and get absolutely. in tune with Earth. Absolutely. When I, when I was young... Actually, I used to think that if only we could organize something in which everyone in Washington, Mm D.C. got picked up and dropped in the middle of a forest for Mm -hmm. three weeks. And, of course, they were taken care of. Their food was there. They had shelter. You know, they didn't have to scavenge or anything. But they, <laughs> I think that they, would be great. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't leave for three weeks. They had to actually spend three full weeks in backcountry Mother Nature. That yeah, they wouldn't at the end be of so... those three weeks, they would never be able to sanction That's right. deforestation, oil drilling, fracking, whatever Mountain it was that they were dis- in the midst yeah. of sanctioning. Yep, that's right. But you can't actually have that experience and then and then make those give laws. an order to cut it down. Exactly. That's right. So yeah. it's, it's interesting because you said, uh, how do I – you send people out to be grounded. And I remember hearing that um, term early in my spiritual practice and saying, I'm grounded. I'm standing here. I'm on the earth. But I was not in my body. Mm-hmm. And – I was not even fully connected to the earth because I had so much um, trauma that I was carrying around that it it was like a barrier between me and the earth. And I remember I was I had an apartment in Brooklyn. And we had a, we had a lovely backyard, and I had up until then killed every plant I'd ever gotten. And I looked out in this backyard, which was filled with weeds, and I said, "This is ridiculous. I am not the kind of person who kills things." I am going to change that right now. And I created this little, I created borders around grass and things were growing. And I thought, oh, oh, this is where it is. It's right here. It's been here all along, right here in my hands. So for me, that was profound that all of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't killing things. I was actually being a steward. Now I didn't have words for that back then. I just knew this felt good. This 
seemed to break down those barriers that I had put up to protect myself. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, you know, there's a reason that we say Mother Nature, mm-hmm. Mother Earth, mm-hmm. Mother Ganga, is that experience that we have of you don't need to put up your defenses, you don't need to carry everything on your shoulders. It's not all up to me or about me. There is a mother. And just as a child, when picked up by the physical mother, regardless of what was going on, what the tension was, what the pain was, how much the child was crying, the minute the mother comes and swoops that child up in her arms, it's all okay because even though his knee might still be bleeding, that inner sense of I'm going to fall apart, I have to take care of it, what's going to happen to me, all of that dissipates when we're in the arms of the mother. And of course, when that mother is not just our physical birth mother, but actually the divine mother Mm -hmm. in the form of Mother Nature, Mother Earth, or just the Divine Mother, then that experience is even larger, more powerful, more palpable. And we realize, oh, I'm being carried, I'm being held, and I can really just merge and melt and breathe out into nature. And that there is actually a force, a being, an energy, a nurturing experience that will hold that for me and hold me. When you brought something up about um, mother, I I think part of the issue at hand here is that there hasn't been a whole lot of respect for the divine feminine for eons on this earth. So when you say, um, you know, our mother holds us, there's been so much pain for for women and for the woman, our earth. And I think she is now um, mirroring to us our own pain and our own suffering. And, and in, we are in need of emancipation, as is she. That's, that's how I look at it. I mean, there's so many issues around mothering. And <clears throat> I there was a woman recently who said something about, oh, you know, when Freud says you've got the other, he really means your mother. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to make fun of that because I'm a mother and yeah. I don't want my kids to grow up and, and have those feelings about me. I have to somehow, I have to come into right, right thinking around what, what my mother did and didn't do as the best she could because then I can't honor my own self. And then how, if we are not honoring our own feminine, whether it's male honoring mother, sister, or female not honoring mother, sister, how do we honor our mother earth? Well, um, I think that the more connected we feel Mm. to the earth itself and to all of those with whom we share it, the more the ways to honor come naturally. You know, one of the examples that I give frequently is if I trip or I somehow injure my right leg, Mm -hmm. 
my left leg will start to pick up extra weight. We call it limping. But what <laughs> limping literally means is my left leg is compensating for an injured right leg. Right. And it, it knows exactly how to do it. And if I've injured my right knee, I'm going to limp differently than if I've injured my right ankle, which is different than if I've injured my right lower back. But in any of these cases, it's a left side taking up extra weight, a different type of weight due to an injury on the right side. And the reason that that happens is that the left side understands the right side is self. Mm. We don't have to coordinate it. We don't have to take a training in how we should limp. We don't have to hold <laughs> our hands and, and, you know, beg the left leg. Oh, you are such a great left leg. I'm going to give you a gold star in, you know, martyrdom and Seva and volunteerism, you're going you're gonna to be our Sevak of the year. You know, it just does it because it understands right. this is self. And we have to put post-it notes on our computers that say, you know, do a random act of kindness until and unless we realize the world is self. If I have to keep reminding myself and figuring out how do I serve? Oh, have I helped someone? Oh, have I reached out? Have I been nice? Have I assisted the earth, my fellow humanity, whatever? If I have to keep doing it like that, it means that my intentions are great. My focus is wonderful. I'm trying to become more selfless. But it means that I haven't actually yet had an experience of oneness and self because the minute there is that experience, then the service, as I mentioned earlier, flows naturally, whether uh -huh. it's donating money that we have to organizations that need it, whether it's giving a hand to an, you know, an elderly woman who's putting grocery bags into her car and they look heavy and so we reach over and help her get the bags in her car. Whatever it is, it's going to flow naturally in that moment, and it's not something we're going to have to plan for. It'll be like the left leg just automatically starting to limp. Wow, that's awesome. That's, that's a profound statement, and the clarity of that really brings it home for me anyway. And with that, Sadhviji, we have to... We have to say goodbye. Um, I want to thank you for your wisdom, for your grace, for your story, for sharing um, your own beauty with me and with my audience today. Well, it's been a wonderful, wonderful joy and honor, and I look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Oh, I would love that. Well, um, I will be in touch with you very soon then. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to hopefully welcoming you to India if your travels ever bring you there. Someday I will be there, that's for sure. That is a promise. Okay, everybody. Wow. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm super inspired to um, just connect and let go of the material uh, aspects of my being and find myself at one with all of you and certainly with my Mother Earth. 
Sadhvaji has given us a lot to um, take into our lives and into our dreams. So you guys go out there and um, become great stewards that I know that you are. I love you. We hope that you found this episode of GDK inspiring. And to raise your vibration even higher, visit my website at goodvibrationswithkristin.com. And don't forget to like Good Vibrations with Kristen on Facebook. What inspires you? Write us, let us know, so we can share your ideas on the show. And meanwhile, keep listening, keep connecting, and know that you are divinely guided.